chapter 5. Uh, we're going to skip over a, a couple of sections in the middle. Uh, we're reading the passages that we are because they parallel one another and have a lot to do and uh, with each other. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. We're going to start in verse 1, read through verse 11, and then we're going to jump down to verse 27 and read through verse 32. So uh, if you are reading along in uh, one of the Bibles there in the row, that should be page 860 is where we'll start. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Him, that's, that is, Jesus, to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and He saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now down to verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding and applying it. Father, we thank you that you are not a silent God, but you are a God who reveals himself. You reveal yourself in your word. So Lord, we thank you for it. You revealed yourself in your son Jesus, whose life we are studying. And so, Lord, as we uh, seek to understand these passages, we pray, God, that it would be more than mere head knowledge, but that you, Holy Spirit, would implant these words in our hearts, that you would transform us from the inside out, that we would learn truly what it means to follow Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. It's been 75 years, just a couple of days ago, 75 years since Allied forces landed at Normandy. 
Uh, World Magazine recently featured a story of a man named Ken Jacobs who was in the second wave to go on to Omaha Beach that day. And as they were about to land, his commanding officer told him and several of uh, his fellow soldiers, he said this, You're expendable. You're all expendable. If you go down, there are other soldiers behind you, and there are other soldiers behind them. Our mission is that beach. We must take the beach. Ken Jacobs survived the carnage of Omaha. He survived the war. And he believed that God had preserved his life for something greater, for maybe a greater mission As great as taking the beach at Omaha was, as much as that meant the beginning of the end uh, to the war in Europe, uh, Ken believed that his life was meant to be lived for something greater. And so he and his wife spent the next 50 years living among the Camula peoples of southern Mexico, uh, descendants of the ancient Mayans. They were uh, considered the impossible people because no one had reached them yet with the gospel. Tradition, worship, animism, alcoholism defined the life of this pe- of these people. Uh, and so Ken and his wife spent 50 years introducing these people to Jesus uh, and translating the Bible into their language, which had not been done before. That work was completed in 2001. Ken Jacobs believed, uh, and today tens of thousands of the Kamulas call Christ their Savior, Ken Jacobs believed in a great mission. And what we see today is Jesus calling uh, his first disciples, his first friends, uh, onto a mission. And, And really what we see both in the call of these fishermen and the call of a tax collector is that Jesus is on mission to rescue sinners. And as he does that, he is inviting other rescued sinners along in that same mission. Jesus invites rescued sinners to participate in his mission to rescue sinners. And so we're going to look at both of these episodes. First, we're going to look at Jesus, the fisherman, and the call to mission. And then next, we're going to look at Jesus and the tax collector and the focus of mission. So we're going to look at the call to mission as uh, displayed in Jesus' interactions with Simon. And then we're going to talk about the focus of Jesus' mission, what it is that Jesus has come to do uh, as it's demonstrated in the call of Levi, the tax collector, also known as Matthew, by the way. So let's set the scene. Uh, Jesus is becoming very popular as a preacher. People are coming from all around to hear him proclaim God's word. So they believe him to have authority that when he speaks, he speaks as for God. People understand that. They're coming to hear him. In fact, uh, as he stands by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, what Luke calls Lake Gennesaret, um, they are crowding around in on him. There are so many people uh, that Jesus kind of needs a way out. Uh, and so he sees a couple of empty boats there on the shore. He hops into one, uh, and it happens to be Simon's boat. And so he asks Simon to put out a little bit into the water so that he can teach from the boat, which he does. And as soon as he finishes teaching, he looks at Simon and he says, hey, let's head out a little bit further and let's go fishing. Now, picture this. Uh, 
Jesus is a carpenter's son. And probably, therefore, a carpenter himself. And he's become something of a traveling preacher. And he is telling the professional fisherman when to put out and where to go. Alright, so uh, a carpenter is telling a fisherman, uh, somebody who is a part owner, it would seem, of a fishing company, where to go fishing. So you can understand why Simon would be a little bit doubtful about uh, going fishing at Jesus' command. In fact, Simon says, Master, we toiled. And uh, that word, very specific, toil, right? Long, hard labor, we toiled all night and took nothing. And so the best time to go fishing was at night, which they were doing, and they labored all night long and got no fish whatsoever. And so you probably know, you may know how it feels to work long hours with no result whatsoever. You felt that exhaust, that, that combination of exhaustion and frustration. So you can probably imagine how Peter felt there cleaning his nets, ready just to call it a loss. And Jesus says, hey, hop back in the boat. Let's go out and do a little more fishing. But Simon yields to Jesus' word and almost immediately the nets close on a huge catch of fish. So huge, in fact, that the nets are starting to break. They've got more fish than they can handle. And so now, exhaustion probably gives way to adrenaline, right? They're hollering for the other boat to come out, help. And they manage to get the nets on board, but they have so many fish in the boats that now the boats are starting to sink. The number of fish is so heavy that they are in danger of capsizing their boats. So it's probably safe to say that this was Simon's greatest catch. They probably had not had a day's work like this before. And we can glean a couple of things from this. Uh, First, following Jesus is going to be inconvenient. Jesus doesn't always call when you're at your best. When you're in a good mood, when you're fully prepared... Why is that? Maybe it's because I would be prone to take credit for Jesus' work if I'm in a good mood and well prepared. So rather, Jesus prefers that I be at my wit's end and my strength and patience be very thin. Jesus loves to work when our resources are out. In other words, Jesus may be ready to fish when you're not. So following Jesus is inconvenient Uh, Following Jesus is risky. Simon is in danger of losing some serious capital on this trip. His nets are on the verge of breaking. His boats are on the verge of sinking. And so at, at first glance, it might look as if this fishing trip was a bad idea. It's risky business taking Jesus at his word. But it can also be rewarding Following Jesus may be inconvenient, it may certainly be risky, in fact it most certainly is risky, but it's also rewarding. Jesus has much more in store for Simon and his friends, much more than simply a great catch of fish. The journey will become increasingly more inconvenient, it will cost Simon more than nets or boats, 
to keep following Jesus, but the rewards will be so much greater. And so, Simon sees this miraculous catch, and in in verse 8, he breaks down. He bows before Jesus and says, Get away from me. Go away from me, Lord. Notice Simon initially had addressed Jesus as Master, not an uncommon title for a teacher in Jesus' day. But now he calls him Lord. Now we don't really know all that Simon grasps about who Jesus is at that point. But we do know this. He is certainly aware that Jesus is no mere teacher. He calls him Lord, the same word used in the Greek Old Testament to refer to God. Now, uh, let's say you're walking down the street and you see a celebrity, musician, actor, star, whatever you please, see your favorite, favorite celeb on the street. How do you respond? Right? If you saw Odell Beckham uh, walking down Main Street towards Main Street Cafe, Odell Beckham's a football player, by the way, um, how would you respond to that? Now, I can, I can almost guarantee how you wouldn't respond. You wouldn't be nonchalant, right? Like if this was the person that you, you know, worshipped, uh, in quotes, uh, more than anyone else, you probably wouldn't be nonchalant. You wouldn't be like, huh, that's interesting. Cool, right? No, you might run or walk over there and, and you would probably take a selfie with them, right? You'd tweet about it, post it on Instagram, whatever, right? You would make a big deal out of it. Why? Because there's this sense that you have that this person is superior to you, right? The reason that they are a celebrity or they're good at whatever it is they do is because you're very different. There's a gulf between you and them, right? Odell Beckham, I realize he puts his pants on one leg at a time just like I do, but he can do things with a football that I cannot do. Okay, And so that is why we like people like that and why we act the way that we do. We perceive a difference between us and them. We sense that there is a superiority, that they are worthy of our attention. Well, even more so in this case, Simon realizes as he sees his boats buckling under the pressure of this miraculous catch of fish... Uh, that he has in his boat someone who is far superior to him. He is not worthy to be near Jesus. Simon becomes very acutely aware of his own sinfulness. In fact, his response is very similar to others in the Bible when they come face to face with God. Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, uh, in his book, in chapter 6, he sees a vision of God. And when he sees this vision, his response is, Woe is me. I am undone. I am destroyed because I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah becomes acutely aware. Peter becomes acutely aware. He is exposed before God. He is exposed before the holy And what this tells us is that really, in order to come to fully know God and to follow Jesus, we must first come to the end of ourselves. 
In order for Peter to follow Jesus, he must first come to the end of himself. Right? This is a key acknowledgement. When Peter says, get away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord, that is a key acknowledgement in spiritual growth. It's crucial. Right? Peter realizes who he is in light of Jesus. And his only response is to acknowledge his sinfulness. He comes to the end of himself. If we do not come to the end of ourselves, we will find it very difficult to follow Jesus. This acknowledgement is key to understanding a relationship with God. And so, maybe a question I would ask is, have you ever been undone in the presence of God? Maybe reading His Word. Have you ever, have you ever come face to face with the Holy and been undone? Have you ever had that deep sense of woe that Isaiah felt? I am not worthy. Have you ever had to break down over your own inadequacy? That's what Peter does and he shows us the way in doing it. But I also want you to notice what Jesus says. He does not say, hey man, get up, I'm just a man like you, no need for all of that, quit your blubbering, right? He doesn't say that, which is a key indication that Jesus is actually God. (laughs) In other places, when heavenly beings are worshipped, they say, don't worship me. Jesus doesn't do that. He allows Peter to bow before him. But he does say this. First he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I want you to notice that the the source of fear, and this is the right kind of fear, this is the kind of fear you and I ought to have. The source of fear is the one who relieves the fear. Jesus tells Peter, don't be afraid. Jesus welcomes Peter. And then he says this, from now on, you'll be catching people. So I want you to notice kind of this this, this, this discipleship uh, transition, okay? What happens to Peter? He comes face to face with Jesus. He recognizes his own sinfulness and admits it. Jesus welcomes him and then sets his life on a new trajectory. And what do they do? As soon as, as soon as Peter and the boys get back to the shore, they leave everything. Luke says they left everything and followed him. Who knows what they did with all those fish? This is probably the greatest catch in Peter's entire life and it fades into the background. Because it was simply the means to the end of getting Simon uh, to admit who Jesus, or who he is before Jesus and to follow Jesus, right? This is discipleship language. This is the way that Jesus works. Uh, The call to Jesus is an all-consuming call. It's no mere statement of belief. It's not simply the ABCs, but it's an actual dedication to following Jesus. When you meet Jesus, your entire life is rearranged. That's what happens to Simon. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you drop everything and go to seminary or go into ministry. That's certainly not uh, the case. But when you meet Jesus, when you come to see who Jesus is, He reorients your entire perspective. Right? You see yourself for the very first time. You under, your eyes are open to your own sinfulness. Uh, he welcomes you into His presence and says, Here we go. Right? That is, that is the call to mission. Jesus rescues us. He gives us a new identity. And He gives us a new calling. And probably what's most remarkable about, remarkable about that is that Jesus invites other fish to go fishing. Right? That Jesus, that Jesus doesn't expect to do this work himself, but he actually gathers people to do it with him. And after he ascends to heaven, who will continue it in his name. That is the call to mission. Jesus rescues us, he gives us a new identity, and he gives us a new calling. But what does that mission look like? Who does it focus on? Now that, that, I think, is what we learn from Levi, Jesus' call of Levi, the tax collector. Now, uh, I will remind you of how tax collectors were viewed in uh, the ancient world in Jesus' day. They were not liked. I know everybody loves the IRS now, but that has not always been the case. Okay, um, Tax collectors were seen as dishonest. They... They were considered, uh, people, the, the reputation of the tax collector was that um, they gained their wealth by extorting it from others. And many did. They took a heavier percentage for themselves than they were supposed to. And so people did not like tax collectors. Tax collectors were social outcasts. They might have plenty of money, but they were on the outside. But Jesus loves to engage with social outcasts, which is exactly what he does in verse 27. Levi, sitting in his tax booth there by the side of the road, collecting taxes, and the call is very simple. Uh, Jesus approaches him and he says, follow me. And Levi does. He leaves the booth and follows Jesus. Again, we have a picture of someone leaving everything, this all-consuming call, leaving everything to follow Jesus. Again, discipleship language. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, Levi gives us a picture of that in the very next verse. He's an outcast who responds to Jesus by following him. And then what does he do? He tries to introduce his friends to Jesus. He uses his possessions, he uses his money and his home to throw a huge party for Jesus and he gathers his friends, other tax collectors uh, and other people so that they might be introduced to Jesus, right? And it says that Jesus is reclining at table. Uh, what that means, well, in those days they didn't sit in chairs. When they ate a meal, they actually reclined on one elbow uh, and faced the table together um, but you have a picture here of sharing, sharing a meal together. And this is still true, even though we don't lay on the floor. This is still true. Sharing a meal is an intimate thing, is it not? Right? Sharing a meal. You're in, you're in someone else's space, sitting across the table from them, eye to eye, taking food from the same plates, uh, drinking wine from the same bottle. 
Uh, sharing a meal is an intimate thing, and Jesus is sharing a meal with social outcasts. And Levi is kind of the model disciple here. Uh, he is inviting the outcasts. He's inviting his friends to meet Jesus. And this really summarizes what I want to be. This really summarizes what I want, uh, what I want our church to be. Right? This acknowledgement that we're just beggars. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread. That's, that is, that is mission simply defined. Right? Uh, we are simply beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread. Daryl Bach, a, a Luke scholar, says this, There is no mission without engagement. So we see Jesus doing. Jesus is engaging with outsiders. Jesus is engaging with tax collectors and sinners. Now, you may not have much to share like Levi. You may not have the home or the means to throw a large party or a large dinner uh, in honor of Jesus. But how do you engage? What has God given you? And how do you use it to engage your friends with Jesus? How might we follow Levi in this respect? Now you need to be warned, this won't make you popular with religious people. Right? Uh, Jesus in, uh, excuse me, the Pharisees in verse 30, they hear about this uh, and they grumble. What a great word grumble is. Like even when you say grumble, it sounds like what you're doing. Grumble. And it's rather fitting that this word is used in the Old Testament a fair bit to refer to the people of Israel and what they do to God when God will not meet their expectations. So in the wilderness, uh, when God does not meet the expectations of the Israelites, you know what they do? They grumble. And what do you know? Here we have Jesus not meeting the expectations of the Pharisees. And what do they do? They grumble. They complain. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I want you to notice something. The Pharisees' judgment is not the problem. They're actually spot on. Their judgment is correct. These are tax collectors and sinners. So it's not, their, it's not their judgment that's wrong. Their judgment is right. They are making a right judgment, at least of other people. What they are failing to do is to judge themselves correctly. They are failing to judge their own hearts. Unlike Simon, they do not see their sinfulness. They are blind to their own sin and very acutely aware to the sin of others, which causes them to be superior, to be proud. And so religious, religiously proud people like that will have a problem when you engage with tax collectors and sinners because they had a problem with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that the company you keep isn't important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, the Bible speaks 
plenty about making friends, like making, like in the Proverbs, right? Walk with those who are wise. So you want to make good friends. You don't want to just, you know, always hang out with people who aren't following Jesus, okay? I'm not saying that you need to abandon Christian friends and go find others. But I am saying that we need to model Jesus' engagement with outsiders more. Uh, And that when we do that, people will go, are you sure about that? I mean, that's not really a good idea. Okay? Uh, Jesus, that did not deter Jesus. In fact, uh, look at how he answers. Look at uh, how Jesus responds there. When the Pharisees ask, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answers, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. Now, Jesus is being a little sarcastic. Right? The problem the Pharisees have is they don't see their illness. They don't notice that they're sick. And so when, as Jesus says this, He is indicting them. Jesus says, I've come for people who need healing. I've come for people who are sick with sin. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus comes for those who know they are sick. Jesus comes for those people who know they are sinners. Why? Why does Jesus say this? Well, first, because they know they're sick. And when you know that you're sick, what do you do? At least, some of you. right? You go to the doctor. When you know something is dreadfully wrong with you, you, do, you go to the doctor so you can find out what it is and so you can get a cure. And when you're a hopeless sinner, when you know that you're a hopeless sinner, you go in search of a Savior. But also, Jesus goes, uh, comes for those who are sick so that they'll know they're sick, but also because He wants to make them well. That's his mission. What does he say? I have come to call sinners to repentance. I have come to show you your illness so that you will reorient your life around me, the cure. That is what Jesus has come to do. This is his mission focus, to bring sinners to repentance. And then to bring those rescued sinners along in that same mission. And that's still how Jesus works today. We are in the business, Christian, of telling other beggars where to find the bread. That is the mission of our church. And we want to be like Levi in using all of the means God has given us to make that possible. So, in conclusion, what do we, what do, we do with all of this? Just a, a few thoughts. One... Recognize that you're sick. We call that repentance. Recognize that you're sick. It's not a one-time deal. It's a daily deal. And for some of us, it has to happen a whole lot more than that. Recognize that you're sick. Repent. If you have, a, if you have a hard time with that, ask the Holy Spirit to show it to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, uh, to help you see your sin. Second, seek out a doctor. 
Seek out the doctor, right? We call that believing. Repent and believe. Jesus comes to heal the sickness of sin. He goes to the cross for that very purpose. He goes to the cross for the purpose of dealing with your sin. Of putting it away in His own death. So, know that you're sick. Seek out the doctor. And then third, I would say this. The mark of a true disciple is dependence. Look at, look at Simon. Look at Levi. The less that you and I see our need, the less we'll want a Savior. The more we think we can do it on our own, the less we'll trust Jesus. And then, Christianity will simply become moral improvement. A means to the end of me getting better. Or, it'll simply be believing the right doctrine or doing the right deeds or associating with the right people. Look y'all, Pharisees have right doctrine. And Pharisees have right deeds. You might even argue that they have the right, that they're around the right kind of people. But they don't depend on Jesus. That's the mark of discipleship. Disciples see their need, they enter the great physician's care, and then they encourage others to do the same. I want to close uh, two illustrations that I think make this point. The first comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Horse and His Boy. I just read this the other day and, and absolutely loved it. Um, when is a horse. She's a talking Narnian horse. But she has lived her entire life uh, in slavery in the land of Callerman. Uh, and she has escaped almost to Narnia. So she's never met Aslan, the great lion, who is the Jesus figure of these books. And so she and uh, two of the other characters are... Um, they're resting up in a hermitage in the mountains and they're talking about Aslan, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this happens. They saw an enormous lion leap up from outside and balance itself on the top of the green wall. Only it was a brighter yellow and it was bigger and more beautiful and more alarming than any lion they had ever seen. And at once, it jumped down inside the wall and began approaching them. Now all the characters scatter. They're terrified. Then when, though shaking all over, gave a strange little neigh and trotted across to the lion. Please, she said, you're so beautiful. You may eat me if you like. I would sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. That's the language of a disciple, of a follower. I would sooner be eaten by you than be fed by anyone else. Or to use the words of 97-year-old Ken Jacobs, who spent 50 years following Jesus, who heard in those early days that he was expendable, says this, Christ was expendable. He was expendable for you. You are His mission. Let's pray. Oh Lord, 